Father, thank you again for the privilege of being able to come and the, and the excitement that we all have for being back together. Uh, we're looking forward to what you want to show us in the study of the book of Hebrews. We thank you for the people that are listening right now uh, through the website. All around the country we're starting to find that people are actually uh, getting directed by you to the site and, and how the studies of your word have been so helpful to them. Thank you for what you're doing in, in my life. Thank you what you're doing in our lives as your word is able to take root and bring us to maturity. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that your desire is that we be sanctified and you will do it. Father, thank you that you're going to be showing us down the road in the study of this book that you are not only the author, but you're the perfecter of our faith. Father, may we rest in you. And we look forward to what it is you show us even more as you reveal who you are afresh or even anew to us in this time as we get together. Thank you for this book. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get into our actual study of the book of Hebrews, you have to usually do a little bit of preliminary stuff to get going. For example, when you study a book, it will help you in your study of that book to know who wrote it, who were they writing to, why were they writing the book, when was it written, and guess what? We don't know any of those questions. We don't know the answers to any of those questions. I'm going to give you a little bit of some quick background to the book of Hebrews. If you are one of these people that really enjoys the deeper study as to what possibly could be, who might have, who might not have, there's a lot of information that's out there and some commentaries, and I'll encourage you to go do that. But for the sake of what we're going to accomplish here, what we will hope to accomplish here, and what the purpose of our, our recordings as well, we're, we're not going to go into that much detail, but I will tell you this much. From context of this book, what we do know, it appears that the book was written to a group of Jewish Christians who had, because of persecution, started considering heading back to Judaism because they weren't enjoying life as a Christian, because of the persecution they were facing. Now, we know this because, as you will see in the, the ch first chapter even, uh, the Hebrew writer, whoever he was, actually used a lot of Old Testament references to prove his point. This must have been a group that understood the Old Testament for him to be able to do that. Otherwise, it wouldn't have had the validity or the power. So he uses a lot of Old Testament references. Most likely a group who had an understanding of the Old Testament. As well, as you will see later in our study of the book of Hebrews, there was also a lot of references to the priesthood in the Levitical system. Non-Jews wouldn't have understood the priesthood of the Levitical system, and they really wouldn't have grasped that. So most likely, it's Jewish background Christians who had come to faith in Christ and now were considering drifting away from Christ and going back to Judaism. That's all we really know. There's a lot of other speculations as to who uh, they were and what kind of a background. Some said maybe they're from the Qumran sect and all this stuff. If, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, that stuff's out there. Well, for our purposes, we're going to understand that he's writing, for the most part, to a group of Jewish Christians who are considering going back to Judaism. Now keep in mind, that as the Hebrew writer is writing to this group, he doesn't know who's truly saved and who's not. Do you understand? That will be very helpful for you as we do this study, because there's going to be times that it seems like he's saying, well, maybe these people aren't saved. Well, there probably was a strong case that some who were considering going back weren't. We don't know. The Bible actually says that time will tell whether or not you truly are born again. Whether or not you've received the Spirit will be manifest in your life, but it won't be manifested until later on sometimes. You remember the parable of the soils? His seed fell on the hard path and there was no response. Seed fell on the rocky soil and it sprung up. Sure looked like salvation, but because of trouble, 
it withered because it had no root. It wasn't real salvation. Then the seed, as you know, fell. some fell on the thorny soil and uh, it sprung up. Sure looked like salvation, but because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, it was choked and it didn't produce fruit. It wasn't real salvation. But some seed fell on the good soil and it did produce a crop down the road. Now, one of the things that will help us in this study is don't just assume that his readers are all Christians. Just like I look in this room and I, to the best of my ability, believe all of y'all know the Lord. I don't know for sure. Only you and God know. You understand what I'm saying? I had a man put it real well. He said, I don't know about Billy Graham, but I know I'm saved. (laughs) And that was pretty well put because, you know, the question is, is his spirit in you? And so as he deals with these people, as he writes to them, you'll see this become clear. He's writing to Christians who are considering going back to Judaism, but he's also at the same time, and there's going to be certain warnings that jump out from this book, warning those who really don't have a relationship with Jesus. The other thing is this. um, I don't know who wrote the book, but I actually can probably tell you, some of you might have been raised by those who believed it was Paul. It was just another one of Paul's letters. I think there's actually a verse, and I want to start with that verse, that will actually make it so you see that Paul most likely wasn't the writer of this book. Now, there is textual reasons why people think it wasn't Paul. His writing was, this writing is different than, than some of other Paul's writings that we have. Uh, some say, well, maybe it was Luke that wrote, and he just took Paul's teaching and transcribed it, and that's why there's a, a textual difference. But go with me to Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verse 3. Look at what the Hebrew writer says here in chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. Did you see that? Here he says, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. In other words... The writer of the book of Hebrews is almost second generation of hearing the gospel. He didn't hear it from the Lord. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11? What I received from the Lord, I then passed on to you. Paul would say, I'm an apostle because I was taught by Jesus face to face. In Galatians chapter 1, he talks about how after he got saved, God took him out into the desert of Arabia for three years and Jesus taught him face to face. Whoever the writer of this book is says that this salvation was first presented by the Lord and then passed on to us by those who heard him. Sounds like he's in that group of those who heard secondhand about this message. So most likely, it's not Paul. Now, who is it then? I don't know. We don't know. But I will tell you who wrote the book. Yes. God wrote the book. And it, it, as you will see, it is full of God and His truth. And, 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 and it is all His word, His word and His truth. The only other thing I'm going to give you as, as background to this book is this. Most likely it was written before A.D. 70. And the only reason I can tell you that is this. There's no mention at all to the destruction of the temple, which you know occurred in A.D. 70. Most likely, with all that he dealt with in the description of the Levitical priesthood and how Jesus was greater than that and all, there would have been a reference of some sort to the destruction of the temple. There's none. So most likely this was written prior to AD 70 to a group of Christians who were new believers, but because of the persecution they were facing, were considering going back to Judaism because life was hard now as a Christian. Now, with that in mind, as you heard me say as we finished our study of Revelation, I believe if Jesus tarries, we, even in America, are going to experience persecution for our faith. 
And it will get rougher for us if Jesus doesn't come and get us and rapture his church sooner. If he waits, and he has his reasons for why he would, but if he waits, things will get tougher for us. This will be a good book for us to study as well, to give us the importance of hanging on to our faith in who Jesus is and the reality of who he is, despite what goes on around us. Because I don't know about you, but we've gotten a little soft. Can't deny it. We've lived in the United States and the privileges we've had for a while. We've gotten a little soft. So don't beat up on the readers of this book who it was written to because you're going to find when we get there, and it'll be down the road before we get there, but when we get to chapter 11, that Hall of Fame of Faith chapter, you're going to find that actually the Hebrew writer was listing these men and women of faith in order to, in a good way, shame them. Because when we get to chapter 12, and he says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, run with perseverance the race marked out for you, he then goes on and says, you haven't even resisted yet to the shedding of your blood. These people wandered in deserts and caves. They were cut in two. You guys haven't even shed any blood yet. So actually, chapter 11 and 12 is a little bit of a loving spanking. But you know what? We're soft too. And I pray that as we take the time to study this book, God will begin to develop within us a stronger faith. A stronger faith in who He is that no matter what happens to us next, we'll be able to hang on. And I pray that it also will give us a stronger desire to pray for those brothers and sisters around the world right now who don't have it as easy as we do. Alright? So, that's our introduction to the book of Hebrews. Let's open to chapter 1, and I'll tell you right now, we're only going to get as far as verse 2 tonight, because there is so much here. And I'm not kidding you, I cannot wait, because I just had to stop myself in preparation for tonight and just say, no, we just got to stop right there. Alright, look, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 tonight, that's all we're going to cover. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. Now, we're going to stop right there. And I'll I'll be honest, we're not even going to be able to finish all of verse 2 tonight because of how much is right here in this one beginning. You'll notice whoever the Hebrew writer is doesn't start with their typical greeting where they say who I am. So there's some that say, is this even an epistle written to a church or whatever? Because typically when they wrote an epistle or a letter to the church, they would start by saying Paul or Timothy, you know, and then they would have their body of their letter and then the greetings. This one actually has some greetings at the end of the book, like a typical letter would, but it doesn't begin that way. The Hebrew writer jumps right in, and I don't want you to miss this. I want if you are, if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down this way. God has spoken. God has spoken. And we're going to break down tonight the ways in which he's spoken. But don't miss that. As it says in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and in many times in various ways. And in these last days he's spoken through his son. Don't miss the fact that the Hebrew writer is saying this: God has spoken. You know, a lot of people out there in the world today, they they may say they believe in God, but then they don't think that God speaks. You know, they they believe that God's there, but there are those who think that, you know, we just kind of do our own thing because God doesn't really have any interaction with us. Here it says clearly, God has spoken. Now, we're not going to take the time to break down how He has spoken through the prophets. I think we did that in the study of the book of Revelation, did we not? How we looked at the book of Revelation and how almost, almost all of it was written earlier by the prophets 
in the rest of the Bible. So we're not going to take the time tonight to look at how God has spoken to the prophets. Hopefully the people listening uh, via the website or they're all here today, you understand God spoke through his prophets. He would give a message to the prophets. The prophets would then go and share that message with the people. And one of the evidences that it was from God was it came true. If a prophecy was given and it didn't come true, the Bible says they were to be stoned. They would be put to death because they were a false prophet and they were speaking falsely about God. Now, we're not going to look at that. What we're going to look at is what he says next. He says it many times and in various ways. What I want you to do is turn to me to Job chapter 33. We're going to begin a study through the scriptures of just some of the ways that God speaks. You may find this helpful actually because I know a lot of people in the church today wrestle with, how do I know God's talking? How do I know it's God? And so go to Job 33. And look at verses 12 through 30. Now the one speaking at this time is Elihu. And if you remember, Elihu uh, is commended because he spoke truth. So we know that this is not being said by one of uh, Job's three friends. Who, even though what they said about God was true, it didn't apply to Job's situation. Here Elihu is speaking now, and look at what he, what he says in, starting in verse 12 of chapter 33. He says to Job, I tell you, in this you're not right, for God is greater than man. Why do you complain to him that he answers none of man's words? For God does speak, now one way, now another. Though man may not perceive it, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds... He may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings, to turn man from wrongdoing and to keep him from pride, to preserve his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain, with constant distress in his bones, so that his very being finds food repulsive, and his soul loathes the choicest meal. His flesh wastes away to nothing, and his bones, once hidden, now stick out. His soul draws near to the pit, and his life to the messengers of death. Yet, if there's an angel on his side as a mediator, one out of a thousand, to tell a man what is right for him, to be gracious to him, and to say, spare him from going down to the pit, I found a ransom for him, then his flesh is renewed like a child's, and it's restored as in the days of his youth. He prays to God and finds favor with him. He sees God's face and shouts for joy. He is restored by God to his righteous state. Then he comes to men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, but I did not get what I deserved. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit, and I will live to enjoy the light. God does all these things to a man, twice, even three times. Why? To turn back his soul from the pit. According to Elihu here in Job 33, what's some of the ways that God speaks? This isn't all of them, but according to this passage, what are some ways that He speaks? Through dreams and visions. Keep going. What else? Pain and suffering. What I want to do real quick is I want to kind of stop here. And I want to show you something that just within the last couple of weeks, God has opened my eyes to. And I want to kind of, it will help you as we deal with this study of the book of Hebrews. I want you to put a bookmark in Hebrews chapter 1. And I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read the Bible backwards. Alright, we usually read it, verses 26, 27, 28, 29. 
I'm going to read the Bible starting in chapter 8, verse 29, and then we're going to read verse 28, and then we're going to read verse 27 and 26. And there's a reason why. Alright? Let's look at verse 29. It says, For those that God foreknew, He also predestined to con- for them to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that he, m- that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, look at what is Paul saying here. Alright? God has predestined to conform you into whose image? Christ. Get that in your mind. God planned ahead of time to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Alright? That's God's desire. Now, in verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Alright? Now, what's His purpose? To save us. And to what? To conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Paul says, we know now that all things in our life, even the pain and suffering, will work for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. God's purpose is not only to save us and enter in a relationship with us, it's to conform us into the image of His Son so that Jesus will be the firstborn among many brothers. We're going to be co-heirs. It's hard for us to grasp. We are going to be like Him. That's hard. It's really hard. And God says, through Paul here, we know now that everything will work for good. Well, how do we know that everything will work for good? Go to the verse before that. Verses 26 and 27. Well, let's do, let's do to verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. That's capital S here, so it's the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Alright, now, verse 26 shows us that we, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He also searches our hearts, and He knows the mind of God, and He prays for us in accordance with whose will? God's will. Alright, now... The Holy Spirit, according to this passage, is praying for you, even when you don't know how to pray, even when you don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf in accordance with the will of God. Now, do you know the will of God? Not all the time, right? But does the Holy Spirit know the will of God? Yes. Yes. Now, what does the Bible say about praying in accordance with God's will? In 1 John it says... If we ask anything in accordance with His will, we know that what? He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, we will get or have whatever it is we ask. Correct? Well, if the Holy Spirit knows the will of God... Oh, and by the way, the will of God is not only your salvation, but your sanctification. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, we're to look on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who not only begins it, He's the one who completes it and finishes it. The Holy Spirit is praying in accordance with the Father's will for you. That means that what He's asking will happen. What is He asking then? Now we've got to know. Okay, what is He praying for? I can tell you what He's praying for. That you will grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and become more like Him. That's what He's praying for. Oh, by the way, that means God will hear Him 
And it will happen. Oh, and by the way, that means all things in your life will work for the good because you are the called according to His purpose. Oh, and by the way, He predestined you to be like Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you are a child of God, if you are in Christ, Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means that everything that God does to you now is coming from His hand of love. He will never be mad at you. He will never be angry with you. He will never punish you. Remember, He fully punished Jesus. He is now dealing in your life in every aspect from His hand of love for your best. Now, does it always feel like it's for our best? No. But you've got to get this locked into your head. If you're in Christ... It will always be for your best, no matter what. And God does speak. You'll see there are other ways He speaks. Sometimes in visions and dreams of the night. Other times, if we're hard of hearing, He has to chasten us on a bed of suffering. Right? But let me just tell you something. Was Paul hard of hearing? We wouldn't say Paul was hard of hearing, would we? No. But if you go back to when Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He's blind now because of that encounter with him. And he has to go to this man named Ananias who's going to heal him of his blindness. And God says this. You can double check me. It's in Acts 9. God says to Ananias who's going to pray for Paul that his eyes would be opened. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my my name. Was Paul suffering because Paul had been bad? No. God chose to sanctify, if you will, shape, mold, conform Paul into the image of Jesus Christ through suffering. What happens when we suffer in this life, especially us American Christians? What's the first thing we think? Take it away. What did I do wrong? Right? Why is this happening? We've got this false mentality that if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're in Christ, nothing bad's going to happen. Let me tell you, that's caused us to have a misunderstanding of who God is. And we've now thought He's been mad at us or angry or the preachers have even said, well, that's because you're in disobedience. Let me tell you something. My Father loves me and He is not mad at me, cannot be mad at me. I'm covered in the blood of His Son. He loves me. And He's making me more like Jesus And sometimes it hurts, but it's always from His heart of love. Keep that in your mind as we do this study of the book of Hebrews. Because there will be some things that seem harsh, yet it's for our best. Everything works out for the good for those who are in Jesus Christ. You may not understand it, but we know who does. The one who's praying for us right now when we even don't know how to pray. And He's rooting for us. He's rooting for you. That's why Jesus could say to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, and when you come back around, you're going to be a leader. Strengthen the brothers. He already knew what Peter's response was going to be, and he still loved him. Oh, no, by the way, even though your Bible says in John 21, when Jesus meets back up with him on that shore after the resurrection, your Bible will have a heading that says, Jesus reinstates Peter. Let me tell you something. The headings aren't inspired, okay? Jesus didn't reinstate Peter. He never lost his state. Because in the eyes of God, he saw the finished product. Peter had to go through the shaping process, but Jesus already knew he was going to come out fine. And Jesus never had to reinstate him. 
he had never lost his state. That's why when he said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, and you're going to fall flat on your face. But when you come back, you're going to be a leader. He had already been reinstated. If you want to make him reinstated, he was already reinstated before he sinned. When you really understand what has been accomplished for you through the death of Jesus Christ and how your Father is never going to be angry at you ever again, it's a wonderful place to be. And now you start to live in the joy and the peace of that. So, sometimes God speaks through suffering. Don't think that God's punishing you. Now, in this passage in Job, He was doing it to get someone to come to their faith, come into faith in Jesus Christ and to turn their soul back from the pit. But what are some other ways that God speaks? Any ideas? Through others. Through others. Signs. Through signs. Mm-hmm. He speaks through His Word. You know the Bible says God speaks through creation? Mm-hmm. Go to Psalm 19. Look at verses 1 through 4a. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Look closely at what it says here. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You see that? Creation declares the glory of God. Romans chapter 1, you know, verses 18 and following talk about how God's divine qualities have been clearly seen through what has been made. Right? So that men are without excuse. I'm just going to say to you right now, there's a tendency in some of our denominations when we try to send missionaries overseas to say, well, where are the unreached people groups? Now, they might be just saying, where do we not have missionaries? But let me tell you, according to the Scripture, because God still speaks through creation and many other ways, there's no such thing as an unreached people group. There might be a people group that haven't had one of our missionaries, if you will, but there ain't no unreached people group in the world. His, they're in a speech or language, human speech or language, where God's voice has not been heard. The voice of creation has made it to all the world. The Bible says everyone's without excuse. God has spoken already through His creation. Romans 2, we looked at when we studied the book of Romans. If you didn't hear God's law from Moses, He put His law on your heart. And everyone has heard. Now, does that mean we don't send missionaries? No. God still told us to go into all the world and preach the good news. But don't think for a minute that if we don't get there, they won't hear. God is still speaking. And He's speaking through creation. Alright? Now, there's, there's other ways too. Go to Numbers chapter 12. Verses 4 through 8. It says that once, chapter 12 of Numbers, verse 4. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. Both of them stepped forward. He said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. 
He sees the form of the Lord. Why were you then not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In this situation here, Moses and Aaron were making fun. I'm sorry, not Moses. Um, um, Miriam and Aaron were making fun of Moses because of his wife. And because they mocked Moses, God said, Hey, why don't you guys come out here? I want to talk to you. How did God appear to Miriam and Aaron? It says right there. How? He came in a pillar of cloud. And he, it revealed him, and he spoke through the pillar of the cloud to them. But then he said, I'll give my prophets dreams and visions, but Moses is different. I speak to Moses face to face. He's seen my form. What I want you to understand is, God speaks. But the Bible also says God has spoken. And we're going to get into that a little bit more uh, when we get a little bit further here. But let's just deal with this one more time. Anybody else? What are some ways that God has spoken that we know of from His Word? Miracles. Through miracles. Did He ever speak through a donkey? Yeah, He spoke through a donkey. A burning bush. Handwriting on the wall. How about a whale? A voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. And who, folks, you know how much we sort of fall into that mindset of thinking that you know God doesn't really speak that much. You know, I used to think for a long time that Satan spoke more than God. I mean, I hear him all the time. But I came to realize, you know what? It wasn't that Satan spoke more than God. It was that I had learned to recognize Satan more than I'd learned to recognize my father's voice. And the more I'm really starting to understand how to recognize when he's speaking, I realize he's speaking as much, if not more, than Satan. God speaks. For any of you that are listening right now that are struggling with hearing from God, let me encourage with you. Encourage you with this. God not only has spoken, he's still speaking. And I'll talk about that in a little bit as we get further in this passage. But for right now, realize God has spoken. He has revealed Himself. Remember back when uh, Jesus told the story, and it's a true story because they had a person's name, Lazarus and the rich man, remember? And the rich man was buried and he woke up in Hades and he sees Lazarus in the presence of God and he says, send him back to warn my brother so they don't come to this place. And God says to him, he has Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to him, to them. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. If someone come back from the dead, they'd listen. And this is what God says. If they won't listen to the Word, they won't even believe if someone rises from the dead. You ever thought about how much we in the church have fallen into this mindset of thinking that we need to help the Word of God be more effective? Maybe if we have a better band. Maybe if we have jugglers. Maybe if we would do this or that. We think that the Word has lost its power. It hasn't lost its power. You've lost faith in it. And you stopped using it. And a lot of churches today, good luck seeing people open the Bible and preach and teach from the book. They might read a passage or put it up on the screen and say, let's talk about this. And you don't hear much from God. Sounds more like an Oprah show. I think this and I think that. Folks, God has spoken. And it is here. We just need to be willing to open it up and let Him open our eyes to it. And we'll get to that in just a second. Let's move back to Hebrews chapter, chapter 1, verse 2. 
See, we only took 40 minutes on verse 1. That's awesome. Look what he says, how he's already spoken to our forefathers, through the prophets, and many times in various ways. But in these last days, we're going to come back to that and wrap up with that. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Alright? God's speaking has been progressive, according to the Hebrew writer. Do you see it? In the past, he spoke through prophets, and in various ways, and at many times, in different ways. But in the last days, these last days that we're in, He has spoken through His Son. Now I want you to hear this. Alright? God's speaking has been from promise to fulfillment. Alright? When I say that God's speaking has been progressive, I'm not saying from less truth to more truth. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying to the less worthy, now to the more worthy. No. God has been speaking all that we have. It's been there. It's been a progressive revelation, though, in the sense that it has been prophesied and He has spoken in parables. But now He has spoken through His Son. And we have the fulfillment of God's revelation. I want you to hear this. This is important. When Jesus came and God gave us this book. By the way, does anybody know what the last book in the Bible is called? That shouldn't be a tough one. We spent a year in it. Alright? Alright, it's called Revelation. But, it's, but if you look closely at your Bibles, it says what? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? The Bible says, and we saw at the end of our study, if anyone adds to this book, if anyone takes away from this book, God has spoken in many ways through the prophets and in many ways in the past. But in these last days, He has spoken through His Son and we have received fulfillment of God's revelation. Now, listen to me. God still speaks. But when God speaks now, it is not revelation. It is illumination. And that's different. Do you understand? Revelation says, I'm going to tell you something new. Illumination is, let me help you understand what has already been revealed. There is no more revelation. That's why, and we're not going to turn there for the sake of time. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, If I or anyone or even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let him be cursed. By the way, that kicks Joseph Smith out, doesn't it? Did he not hear a later message in the 1800s from this angel Moroni? And we have the Mormon faith. I'm sorry, Joseph Smith. The Bible says the final revelation came through Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, Muhammad. The Bible says the final revelation came through Jesus Christ. God is still speaking, folks. But when He speaks now, He is illuminating. He's opening our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is and what has been said and what this book says. And I can show you, Jesus even said that. Go with me to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus is speaking to him. He says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and will what? Remind you of everything I have said to you. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you something new. I had a 
I had a bad habit as a young preacher. Whenever God would show me something new for me, I would think it was new for y'all. I really did. I was like, oh, where do you see this? And they're like, Jim, I've seen that for a long time. Really? Wow, it was new to me. And now I'm realizing new to me does not mean new. God has opened my eyes to something. Alright, but when I was a young preacher, I thought, man, I saw something you all don't know. And then I realized that the people had written 17 books about it. Alright, now, in, in John 16, though, look at what it says in verses 12 through 15. Jesus again says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to Me by taking from what is Mine and making it known to you. Do you see it? All that belongs to the Father is Mine. And that's why I said the Spirit will take from what is Mine and make it known to you. The Holy Spirit's role, by the way, living inside of you, is not only to pray for you in accordance with God's will, he's also, His role is to open your eyes to who Jesus really is. Wouldn't you like to know Him better? Hopefully you would say yes to that question, right? Stop beating yourself up that you're not doing a good enough job. That's not your job. Believe that the Holy Spirit of God within you will open your eyes and say, Holy Spirit, your, one of your roles is to open my eyes to who Jesus is. Thank you that you will. And I believe you will. And as you read His Word, trust that He will. And if you don't get something today, no big deal. The Holy Spirit's chosen not to open your eyes just today. You see, the problem we run into is, as I just touched on earlier, we've not really fully understood that our sanctification, this process of us becoming more like Jesus, conformed into His image, is a journey that God has for us. Our salvation occurs at a point, but it's a process. We would agree, right? Then why are you getting mad at yourself? Because the process is taking time like a process. Because we're impatient and we want it to be, we think we're able to be there. Now, when your kids were little, when you're, you're and I might have shared this with you before, but when, you're, when your little girl was four years old, did you talk to her about childbirth? Hopefully not. <laughs> Why? They're not ready. It's not time. We'll get to that road when we get there, right? So what do you do? You say to your child, well, today we're going to work on tying your shoe. Right? Then a little later you say, we're going to work on you buckling yourself in the car. Maybe down the road we'd say, we're going to work on you learning how to drive. Down the road, we're going to talk to you a little bit more about what it means to be on a date. Do you understand? You understand that it's a process of them becoming what God wants them to be. Hopefully you're not beating them because they're not there yet. Hopefully you're patient Sometimes when they want to be older than they are, you say, relax, be the age you are. Right? Your Heavenly Father is saying to you tonight, sanctification is my job. I have pre-planned to make you like Jesus. I will do it. All I ask is that you do what my word says, but trust that I'm actually going to make the progression in your life. Stop beating yourself up because you had a bad day. I'm not measuring your performance, God says. Man looks on the outside. 
God looks at your heart. And God actually is far more concerned in the long-term progression of you to become more like Jesus. He's not as concerned about how good you did today. We haven't heard that in the church, have we? What we've heard in the church is, is God's concerned with whether or not you crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's. No, that's what man is concerned with. But actually, God is far more interested in the long term. That's why God could lovingly say to Peter, Oh, Satan asked to trip you up and I lit him. And oh, you're going to fall flat on your face and it's going to be good for you. And when you come out of that time, you're going to be a leader and you're going to be a much better leader. But you know what? That same Peter who fell flat on his face and denied the Lord, who hunted him down as soon as he rose from the dead? Jesus. You go look at the stories. Between the time when Peter and John go to look at the empty tomb because they heard the women and said it was empty, between that time and when Jesus appeared in the upper room, 1 Corinthians 15 said that He appeared first to Peter. And also in Luke 24, when the two men on the road to Emmaus had just met Jesus and they ran back and they said, we've seen Him. And the ones in the room said, it's true. And He's appeared to Peter. And at that moment, Jesus walks in for the first time. Why was Jesus chasing Peter down? Because Peter was a process, and he was a project, and he was God's project. Relax. You're God's project. Oh, and by the way, the people around you are God's project too. Ease up on them. I I was preaching about this uh, just today with a group of men at a church luncheon that I do. And I had them all turn to each other and say this. Man, God's not done with you, and that makes me feel so much better. (laughs) These guys started laughing as they started to do that. But you know what? That same Peter who was full of the Spirit at Pentecost and preached to and had 3,000 people responded, that same Peter in Acts chapter 10 had to have God convince him that he liked the Gentiles too. And he says in Acts chapter 10, after Cornelius and his family get saved, oh, now I know God likes them too. Well, how come he didn't know that? He was full of the Spirit at Pentecost. No, that full of the Spirit just simply means under the control of the Spirit. But he hadn't progressed yet. He'll get there. Oh, and by the way, that same Peter who came to realize God loved the Gentiles as much as the Jews, later on, Peter had to confront him to his face in love because when the Jews were coming to hang out with them, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but then when the Jews showed up, he acted like he didn't know the Gentiles. How come Peter was acting like such a bum? Because he's a project, and he's God's project, and so are you. And you're going to have days where you don't look like you're progressing. But that's not your job. That's God's job. And He loves you. And He'll get you there. And He ain't mad at you. And when that starts to sink in, you're going to be a whole lot more fun to be around. And so will I. There's no new revelation, folks. It's just illumination. God still speaks. Let me show you something kind of cool, though. I wrote this down on my notes. The Bible says that men and women of faith did not experience in their lifetime the fulfillment of the divine promise in which they had trusted because with us in mind, and I'm going to show you this, with us in mind, God had made the plan that they would be made complete with us. You hear this? He spoke in the past through the prophets and in different ways, but in the last days He's spoken through His Son. We're in a wonderful time period to be on this side of the cross, are we not? But the Bible actually says that God's plan was to fulfill all of His promises so that they together with us would be made complete in the end. Look, I'll show you. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 39 and 40.
This is after the listing of the Hall of Fame of Faith, and we'll get there. Probably in 2011, but we'll get there. These were all, verse 39, were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, if you're trying to grasp that, save it. We'll get to there. But I just want you to understand, God's reason for His progressive revelation from promise to fulfillment, has a purpose. I'm not going to tell you what that is yet. That will make you stay in the Bible study. Alright? If I tell you what chapter 11 says, you won't come back. So, all right, so, for now though, understand that God, the Bible says, God had a reason why He was revealing them just a little, and the promises were all given at that time, and they were fulfilled in our time. He has a reason. He has a purpose. And it goes to His purpose of bringing us all together under Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in the ro- down the road. And in the last ten minutes that we have, let's deal with this phrase, in these last days. Go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Talking again, explaining how Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system and why and all that. He says, and so we're in the middle of a, of, a, of, a, of a thought here, but just stick with me. In verse 26, it says, Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now He has appeared once for all, when? At the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. When Jesus came on the earth... In bodily form, in human form, the last days began. And we've been in the last days from the time when He came and took on human form until now. As you know from our Revelation study, this age of grace, this church age, this time period we're in, is going to come to a close with the rapture of His pride. We'll go to be with Him. Then seven years that are left for the nation of Israel will be accomplished. And oh, by the way, if you've not been watching the news, everything is lining up like you wouldn't believe. And we're real close. But the last days have been in effect since Jesus came to the earth. Let me show you something kind of cool. I mean, two Old Testament passages that talk about this. And then we'll explain it all in our conclusion here for tonight. Go to Hosea chapter 3. And I know Hosea is hard to find. So go to Hosea 1 and then move over to chapter 3. You're welcome. Hosea chapter 3. Actually, in the book of Hosea, what has been happening to the nation of Israel was prophesied a long time ago. Hosea was told by God to uh, reconcile with his wife. Remember, he married, was told to marry a prostitute. She was unfaithful. She actually went and slept around, made had babies with other men. And they had to name, the, name the, one of them, not my people and not my offspring, you know, kind of a deal. Um, but God tells him at this point to go and buy her back, reconcile with your wife. Four, verse 4 of chapter 3 of Hosea, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or even idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king 
And they will come trembling to the Lord and to His blessings in the last days. You see it? What, what happened in A.D. 70? The temple was destroyed. The nation of Israel was scattered, not to one nation that had taken it in captivity like it had been prior, but the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of them being scattered to all the nations occurred for 2,000 years. The fact that the nation of Israel is even alive is an amazing thing. The fact that they're back in their land and have been now for 50, 60 years is an amazing thing. The Scripture even said that they would be without sacrifice and without king or prince for a long time. But after the end of that time period, they're going to turn to the Lord. Well, He's gathering them back. Remember, as we talked about, Ezekiel 37 is being fulfilled and the dry bones coming back together and it's coming to life. They don't have the breath of God in them yet, but they will soon. It's coming close. Oh, and by the way, for those of you that are into the prophecy stuff, uh, when you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39 and the nations that are going to gather against Israel, Turkey has always been the boogaboo. Because Turkey has always been an ally of Israel. How in the world could Turkey be listed in all those people that turn against Israel? Well, since we have been out of a Revelation study, if you've been watching the news, Turkey has turned against Israel. It's now become an enemy. The last piece of the puzzle has just fallen into place. Who knows whether or not their nuclear power or ability is tied in with the end? I don't know. But if you follow them at all, Iran sure, sure wants it to be. We'll see what God does. Well, go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 through 31. Moses is speaking. And if you, chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verses 25 through 31. And if you do a study of the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find that actually God lays out for them. Look, if you obey me, this is what's going to happen. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. And oh, by the way, all the if you don't has happened to them. It says, verse 25, After you've had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking Him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which He confirmed to them by oath. Did you catch how the prophecy went from if to you will? And when is the you will going to occur? In the last days. We're in the last days. They've been along since Jesus came on the earth. In the last days He's spoken through His Son. Jesus put away sin by His own sacrifice at the end of the ages. We're in the time period, and by the way, if you're into that kind of fun study, you go and start in the book of Genesis, all the places where it says, in the later days or in the last days. It's a a reference to when the prophecies will be fulfilled. We're in those days. You don't need any new revelation. It's all here. You need illumination. 
And you need to humble yourself and believe that God will show you. Stop trying to do it yourself. And then trust that He will and ask Him to and spend some time reading the book and let Him take care of it. Alright? Now, please be aware of anyone who has a new word from the Lord. Please be aware of anyone who has a new word from the Lord. If it doesn't line up with this book, it is a lie. No matter how good it sounds. How are you going to know if it's a new word or a revela- or illumination of an old word? How are you going to know? You've got to know this book. And hopefully, we can help you in at least the book of Hebrews. And all the other books of the Bible, because we're going to look at them too, because that's the way the Bible comes together. Thanks so much. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, wrap tonight's session up, I thank you so much. And I just praise you for the excitement I sense. And boy, your word is so alive. There's so much here. We've only looked at one and a half verses. But Lord, you're going to walk us through this journey and your timetable and for your purposes. Father, may tonight we begin the process of first of all believing that you've pre-planned to make us like Jesus. And you are going to accomplish your work. And your spirit is working in that way and praying for us along that way. Jesus, you're interceding on our behalf in that way. And we need to yield ourselves in obedience to your word, but not measure our performance and see whether or not we're getting there. Because you're not, first of all, measuring our performance. And second of all, you're the one that's going to get us there. And so, Lord Jesus, we turn our eyes to you, the author of our faith. We agree with that. We know that salvation is from you alone. But we also believe and receive that you are the perfecter of our faith and that you'll finish what you started. Father, thank you that you're beginning to show us your love for us. And may we understand it as we deal with this book of Hebrews and some of the stern warnings that are going to come out from it. May knowing your heart help us understand what these truths are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.